The Courage to Lead, Episode 76. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited to uh, interview my next guest. Please help me welcome Sean Crane. At the age of 23, Sean Crane was sentenced to seven years in prison for a crime he did not commit. It was in his prison cell for the first time in his life that he faced his demons and challenges head on. He was able to completely transform his entire life behind bars. His attitude, his mindset, and his daily routines were all adjusted and allowed him to create new outcomes and results within his life. Sean shares his personal transformation and the steps he took while incarcerated with anyone who feels lost or hopeless in their life. These same life-changing steps saved his life and freed him from addiction, negative thinking, and living life carelessly. His message is clear. He wants you to know that no matter what you go through, deep within you is a capacity to persevere and create a life you love and cherish. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful to be here and excited. No, this is this is all I've been looking forward to this ever since I heard your story. And uh, I wanted to have you on to, to chat about this because I think what you've done is is amazing. Uh, your book, I want to talk about your book and uh, just what it was like. I can't even I can't even imagine. I can't even put myself in that place to to be locked up for something that you you didn't do. Um so I definitely want to talk about that. If you're okay going through that, I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. Talk about how you got to where you are, uh, the success you found, and uh, talk about your book. All right. But before we get to all that stuff, I do have some questions that I ask all my guests. Um, listeners will know that these are the same questions I ask every guest. Uh, these questions were made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where James Lipton asked these questions of the Hollywood elite. And I figure if they're good enough for Hollywood, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So. Sean, if you're ready, I've got 10 yes, questions for you. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Ooh, these are good. Okay. First one. Um, hmm. I'd like to say potential. I like the word potential. Yeah. Nice. What is your least favorite word? I can't or, you know, something with limitations. <laughs> yes. Um, what turns you on? Challenges. Okay. And what turns you off? Um, lack of gratitude. I see nice. people. Love that. Um, what sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of the birds chirping in the morning. And what sound or noise do you hate? <laughs> Someone whining or complaining about something. That tone, it's, uh, you can't deny it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Sean, what is your favorite curse word? You know, for the longest time, I didn't cuss. Um, so I was thinking about this when you mentioned it earlier. Um, probably the word pussy. I don't know if that's like a... a considered a curse word, you know, I use it as a, an empowering adjective. From time okay. 
an empowering adjective. Awesome. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh, to be honest with you, I never thought I'd say this in my life until this last week, but politics. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, and that correlates with the last word I just used. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Politics. <laughs> <laughs> no, something that I wasn't fulfilled. Yeah, I'm working at McDonald's or fast food or something. Yeah. Like that. All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'm proud of you. Proud of you. Awesome. And I'm sure he would, he or she would be proud. Absolutely. All right. Um, so Sean, we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about your background, uh, the ordeal you went through, how you found your way out of that and what you're doing now with everything that you learned and talk a little bit about your book and uh, see where it goes from there. All right. All right. Awesome. Looking forward Sounds to good. It. All right. We will talk about all of this and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we are back with my guest, Sean Crane. Sean, thanks again for, for agreeing to be on the show. I've been looking forward to this uh, interview for a while. We had it scheduled and then you had something come up um, that you had to reschedule. Was that something good that happened? You know, it's just been a lot going on. I have three children. It's been summer vacation. And so just balancing everything out. Um, you know, it's been a tumultuous couple of months, a lot of challenges, positive yeah. things as well. But really, that's just what it was. It was a matter of, uh, you know, some personal issues came up that I had to take care of. Okay. Well, I'm glad you were able to, to come on. Stuff. Um, like I said, when I heard about your story, read a little bit about your story and stuff, I was... I, I was touched. It's like, I can't even imagine myself in the position that you found yourself in. Take us back to that time. Uh, you were 23 and you were convicted of a crime. You didn't, you didn't commit. Tell me about what happened. Yeah, it was the severity of the event. I mean, up to that point, I was just carelessly living my life. You know, I had no purpose, no direction. And I was just going through the motions. And I was arrested for an attempted murder stemming from a fight at a party. What I thought was a fist fight, a wrestling match turned into an assault with weapons and two guys were seriously injured. One of them almost lost their lives. So my first day at court, the judge and my lawyer told me that they were going to amend my charges to homicide because the victim that they were accusing me of stabbing was in a coma and he wasn't going to make it. So that was the first experience I had going to court for that particular matter. And I didn't stab anyone. I was at a party and we were drinking and there was a wrestling match and I got sucked into it, so to speak, you right. know, um, and they saw me wrestling around with a guy that had been stabbed and I didn't know he was stabbed. I had, you know, no qualms with him, so to speak, no yeah. ill will. We didn't even talk that night. I didn't know him to this day. I still couldn't tell you what he looks like. And so there I was at 23 thinking my life was over in complete shock. Wow. And we see, I mean, we've seen this on, you know, TV and movies, 
a fight breaks out, somebody gets punched, they fall into somebody else, that person spins them around, starts punching. So you, like you said, you kind of get sucked into it. Did you have any idea that who these guys were, number one, and that that one guy had had been stabbed at all? I mean, not at all. I went to this party with a friend that I had known and grown up with from childhood. We didn't know anyone there. And then we saw, you know, a girl that we knew and she was with a couple of people that we had heard of. Or I might have met once. So out of this whole party of hundreds of people, I recognized five faces. The girl I knew well, the guys I didn't. So we were all hanging out and socializing. It was a normal night of drinking, you know, being 23 years old out at a party, that group of guys started getting into an argument with a separate group that I had never seen before. Hmm. And that's what, what took place. And that's when the fight ensued naturally, because we're, um, you know, I'm over here with this one particular group, it turned into a brawl and they were coming at me. I actually got attacked. I thought I was getting jumped by a group of people. And then it turns out that it was just that whole melee going on of people getting stabbed and assaulted. So I didn't see anything. I didn't know what happened particularly. I just yeah. knew I had blood on my shirt and people at the party said they saw me fighting with the guy who got assaulted and it looked really bad. And the police wrote up the police report, making me out to be the main suspect saying that I was seen wrestling around with the guy who was stabbed and that really I was the main suspect. They just painted a really grim picture of me. Wow. And the other guy that actually possibly did do the stabbing, he got away scot-free, he just took off or what happened? Yeah. So one of the individuals who uh, partook in the, he, he partook in the assault, he got off with nothing. The other individual got charged with a lesser crime and he did go and do time in prison. Um, but, you know, I was accused and I was innocent and I did five and a half years in prison for that crime that I did not do. Wow. And the guy that was in a coma, did he make it? He made a full recovery. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, he's, he's doing fine now. Um, but he never came forward and say this wasn't the guy. No, you know, I heard through the grapevine, so to speak, that everyone knew I didn't do it, that everyone in, in jail or at the party or even the people who were assaulted knew I didn't do it, but no one was willing to come forward and wow. testify or make a, t- uh, a statement because it's kind of like the conduct or the, the code of uh, the streets, right? You yeah. don't want to be labeled as a, a snitch or a, a rat. So I was left to, to take the blame for it. And, you know, I had to, and what happened is they were charging me with assault with a dead. I'm sorry. They were charging me with attempted murder at first. Wow. And that carries a maximum of life in prison. So I got down to the point where I saw the police report. My lawyers didn't care. They weren't trying to help me. They, they were court appointed. They thought I did it. I could tell they thought I was guilty. So they weren't really doing much for me. And the district attorney offered to drop my charge from attempted murder to assault with a deadly weapon, which carries a maximum penalty of seven years versus life. So I was at this crossroads. I could either take it to trial and plead my innocence and do my best to defend myself, or I could accept that, you know, I have to go to prison and take a lesser sentence and plead guilty to something I didn't do and, and admit something that I didn't do. And that's what I chose because I felt going to trial in California, particularly the cards were stacked against me. No one wins in trial. The DA has a 99% conviction rate. Exactly. And I felt like I would have just been doomed. I felt like the police report, the, you know, the witnesses, everything that was written negatively against me would have came out. All that circumstantial stuff, the blood on the clothes and everything like that. That And with a public defender, they're not going to really, I mean, uh, I don't know any public defenders. I get the impression that they're not going to fight a lot. They're there to kind of learn the system. 
before they go on to one of the bigger law firms. So it doesn't seem like they're really going to go, you know, really fight for you and stuff. Yeah. That that was a tough choice. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about courage, right? We're talking about the courage to lead, but the courage to make tough decisions. That was the first one and probably the the most difficult one I had ever made in my life to that point. For the first six months, I was still in denial. I was still hoping that somehow, some way the truth would come out and that I wouldn't have to go to prison. I didn't want to go to prison. And I'll never forget one day my my um, lawyer's talking to me on the phone for my cell. You have a little phone in your yeah. cell. He's like, well, Sean, it's, you're going to go to prison. It's just a matter of how long you're going to go there for. And when he told me that, you know, my heart sunk. I couldn't believe it. And it was just so callous and matter of fact, you know, no compassion. Uh-huh. And they see these incidents all the time and they just get jaded by the, the system yeah. and what they're doing. Yeah. And so in that moment, I started to accept it. And then that led up to me signing for that plea deal of seven years in prison. And that took a lot of faith and, and courage on my part. And they probably thought they got you a good deal, right? I, you know, I probably, I think so. Basically wow. they told me, well, you're going to be out before you're 30. Hey, maybe you can mm-hmm. have a good life, but yeah. they didn't give me a shot in hell to be honest with you. No. And the presumption of innocence, that's for the jury. That's not for your lawyer. <laughs> right. And and to be honest with you, in the judicial system, it's the opposite. You're yeah. guilty until proven innocent. That's yeah. the feeling that you get when you walk in. You're in a jumpsuit handcuffed. So yeah. how can you get a, a unbiased, you know, um, exactly. how can you get an unbiased case when you're coming in from a holding cell escorted by cops? Everyone's looking at you like you're yeah. a criminal. And to be honest with you, you know, there's a lot of crime that's committed. And I think that the judicial system's just been molded that way over time. Yeah. But in my case, I was innocent. And I know other people have gone through the system who have been innocent too, who are in my same situation. Yeah. But like you said, that perception, you know, you you come out dressed like a criminal, you shuffle like a criminal, right? You're surrounded by police. So you look like you're a criminal. I mean, how could they not see you that way? Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you were in there for, what did you say? A little over five years total? Yeah. Five and a half years. Wow. And uh, it seems to me that people in that position would just kind of give in, just kind of, well, this is my lot in life. This is what I've been dealt. I'll just, you know, do it. You hear all the time of these people that go into prison, they may not have been a bad person when they went in, but they've learned to be bad and they come out a more seasoned criminal, a more knowledgeable type criminal. You chose a different path. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, to your point, you know, if you're in a a really negative environment like prison, you're deprived, you know, your whole life is just put on hold and you're thrust into this different environment altogether. It's really hard to maintain an optimistic mentality. Like it's nearly impossible because there's nothing in your environment that's positive or, you know, reminding you of that there is hope and, and, you know, some form of um, like a chance to change. So you have that environment then you have people that are all conducting criminal activity with criminal backgrounds, with these negative attitudes and perceptions. So you're just bombarded with all of this negativity. And how can you focus on being a good person or being positive in that environment? It's nearly impossible. That's why, so it's easier to go with the crowd and just do what everyone else is doing. You you feel like you're somehow fitting in or part of something. Yeah. For me, early on, I realized that wasn't the life that I wanted. You know, I was so ashamed of myself for ending up in that jail cell because early on I had big dreams and aspirations. I wanted to play college baseball and to play professional baseball. I had this vision of myself and the person I knew I could be. 
that I deviated from heavily. And I went down a really dark path of my own drug and alcohol abuse, um, you know, getting in trouble, barely getting through high school. So by the time I got to that jail cell, I was just exhausted. I was exhausted living this um, alter ego, this other life that wasn't really aligned with who I wanted to be. And so I made a determination myself early on in that cell before I knew how much time I was getting, before I knew what my fate held, that I was never again going to act as an inferior version of myself. I was never again going to say things or or do things that didn't align with the person I want to be. And for me, it was just about finding that inner peace and not, not allowing myself to to just continue to put up that facade and, and be somebody that I wasn't. So, you know, the, the stage was set, so to speak, when I got in that cell. And so I went to prison with that mentality that I know I'm going to be here for quite some time, but I also know that life goes on after this. And what is that life going to be like? I just wanted so much more for myself than what I had been showing the world. Yeah. So how did you stay above the fray? Cause you always hear these stories of things that go on in prison. How did you, how did you rise above that? Yeah, well, early on, I realized the most imminent threat was my own thinking, my own mind. Prior to prison, I was a prisoner in my own mind. I wasn't incarcerated. And I think a lot of people struggle with this now. It's that we're bombarded with negative self-talk, negative beliefs, limiting beliefs, and it really affects the way we live our lives. So now I'm sitting in a cell for 23 hours a day, and I'm reflecting on that. I'm reflecting on all the opportunities I let pass me by all the things I didn't do that I wanted to do, all the excuses I made. And I realized I had done it to myself. You know, I'd done it to myself long before I found I was arrested and accused of a crime I didn't commit. And so, you know, in that moment, I realized that it was an internal battle, that my my own mental state, my emotional state was either going to make every day miserable for me in there or that somehow, some way I could maybe find something positive to cling on to and focus on to get through that time. So that was the very, you know, first instant of me being courageous and making a choice to not just go down that negative path any further, but to change. And it started here. And it started with me just thinking that maybe the situation is happening for me. Maybe this is a blessing in disguise. Maybe this could be a second chance that I could somehow, some way come out of this experience, a better version of myself. And it was just that little bit of hope, that thought that I started to cling on to early on. And so every day, my main focus turned to, you know, folk, to, to um, every day, my main objective was to focus on that one positive notion that this could be happening for me. Somehow, some way this could help me in my life. And it was just a way to, to keep my mind alive, you know, because yeah. I'm in a cell, the food's horrible, the inmates are violent, the guards are telling you what you can and can't do, but they couldn't, they couldn't take away that feeling or that thought. So every right. day I would just reinforce that over and over happening for me. This is happening for me. This, this is my second chance. And I was just fixating on that positive thought. And so what happened was then I started seeing things in my environment that I could do to better myself, you know, in the cell with nothing, if you're sitting there, you're thinking there's absolutely nothing you could do right now to better yourself. But because I was reinforcing this optimistic perspective every day, I started noticing that book over there I could read or how I could clean my cell and take pride in that or the exercise that I could do. And there were small actionable steps at first, but it represented something that I could channel this perspective into some action that would reinforce that perspective. So I started getting up early and I would start my day by just saying, you know, God, thank you for this chance. Thank you for being alive. Thank you for 
like giving me another day, another opportunity and just yeah. guide me through this day. Please help me to focus on the things I can do to better myself. And I, I would, I'd get up and I'd clean my cell like it was a palace. I would take pride in that. And then I would exercise like I was competing for the Olympics or something. Everything I had, I would give to that workout. Uh, and then I would read and write. And I started doing that daily. And what happened is, you know, now I was feeling in control of my life. Despite being in that cell, this was the first time in my life I was taking complete control of my attitude and my effort every day. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Somebody told me years ago, every decision you make, every minute of every day of your life makes you who you are. And if you don't like who you are, start making different decisions, different choices, right? That is awesome. Very cool. All right. So fast forward, you're free now, you get out. How was that transition? Was that an easy transition for you? Did you find it more difficult? Well, it was what I did for those 2000 some odd days in prison that set me up for success when I came home. So that mentality I just described, you carried over into prison, right? So what I started doing is I was educating myself. I had something to look forward to every day. Uh, I ended up getting college degrees in prison, all stemming from that effort in the jail where I was looking up words in my dictionary. I was reading every day. So I actually got time off my sentence because of that. And not only that, but I was able to then mentor other inmates. They saw me working out every day. They saw me reading and writing and taking college courses. And they naturally gravitated towards me. The, the ones that wanted to change, the guys that were yes. thinking you know, about something beyond prison. So now in prison, I'm improving myself drastically. My confidence is rising. I'm proving through my actions that I can make changes in my life. Um, and so this massively shaped my my mindset perspective going forward to being someone who was wasting life to someone who was taking action to live the life he wanted. And working with those other guys showed me that, you know, I, I could help other people. And I had a message that was worthy to share. And so coming out of prison, I knew what I wanted to do. For the first time in my life, I had a purpose. And that was to help other people break free of the mental prison that I was stuck in all those years. So coming home, I had this focus. I knew what I wanted to do, but then you get out. Yeah. And it's different, right? Yeah. It's a fast paced world. You have $200 in your pocket, no car, no house, no wife, no kids, nothing. I had absolutely nothing but the desire to succeed and the vision of what I wanted to achieve. And so when I got out, I was staying on my aunt and uncle's property um, in a trailer. And every night I was just tossing and turning, man. I was just afflicted because I had this dream and this vision of what I wanted to do, but it wasn't coming true. You know, I was working from uncle's tree service. Um, I was just stuck. I felt stuck like I was back in my old life. And mind you, this had only been two months. For two months, I was out. And I made the choice to leave their property and pursue my my passion of helping people. The way this worked is that I I was just going through my old contacts and reaching out to anyone that I thought could offer me a a help or a step in the right direction. And I was just relentless with it until finally I got a hold of an old friend who was working as a personal trainer. And he said that he would help me get clients and give me a job working with him for some time. So I did. I took action. I I went out there um, and I started working with him and started working with people, getting familiar with personal training and getting good results for people. And so that was my start, I guess, in entrepreneurship. You know, from there, I left and started my own company as a fitness trainer in Santa Barbara. Nice. Yeah. I've seen some of your videos you've posted on YouTube. You've got your own channel, right? You got some videos of you out there running early in the morning. Up the yeah, mountains yeah, that's country. something I do uh, pretty consistently every morning. Go out Very before cool. the sun rises and run. Very cool. Um, and so, about how many people would you say you've you've coached 
as a physical coach? Well, you know, personal training, probably a couple hundred. Uh, I stopped doing that two years ago. I knew that there was a a bigger message I wanted to share with the world. You know, fitness is great, but that's one component of improving ourselves. That is true. And I couldn't reach more people if I was in the gym all day training one person, two people at a time per hour. So I decided to leave that setting and start an online business. And so I was doing online coaching part-time, still doing the gym part-time. And then the, everything was shut down. COVID hit and, you know, I was faced with the crossroads. Do I go all into doing the the life coaching and speaking about the deeper issues I feel like people are struggling with right now that I overcame for myself that I know I can help them with? Or do I go back to some nine to five to make ends meet for a while? And I said, no way I can never go back to that old life. So I just started talking about my journey on Facebook and sharing my, my progress and the things I went through to change my life, to take control of my life. And it resonated with people, you know, resonated with the men that I was able to then start coaching. So that's blossomed into a life coaching program that serves guys all over the world and helping them to really, you know, tackle the challenges that I think a lot of us face, the mental challenges, the the inconsistency, the lack of clarity and who we want to be in that uh, consistent action to be that person. And I started helping them bridge that gap. So it's been an amazing two years experiencing um, that type of growth in my coaching and then seeing the transformation of the men I get to work with. Awesome. And your book, Prison of Your Own. Love that. And you're right, because people have not been through the same things you have, but we put limits on ourselves, right? We kind of block ourselves in, build these little areas where it's our comfort zone and we're basically a prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I wrote the book. I mean, I, before prison, I was a prisoner. You know, I didn't know it, but I wasn't living the life I wanted. Why wasn't I? Because I was scared. I had fears, I had doubts and I had this truth and I wasn't living that truth. And so I wrote the book because I want people to know that no matter where you're at or what you go through, you can make a choice right now that you're going to be that person at heart you want to be. You're going to live that life and pursue those dreams. A lot of times it's daunting. You're like, well, how can I leave my nine to five to you know, create this dream business or to you know, pursue this dream life? It's just scary to people. Yeah. And what I'd say is like, you have to just start with the basic first step and just believe in yourself. That's what I did in prison. I just believe that if I gave effort today to be the best version of myself, that it would add up. And it did over time. And so I want to show you guys the book. Um, There you go. The the banner in the background so you can't see it. But Prisoner of Your Own, I wrote it for anyone who's struggling and they want more for themselves. That's awesome. So when you work with these folks, what do you find? Is it the fear that holds them back mostly? Or just the fear of the unknown? What is it that, that holds them back? Yeah. I mean, there's always fear and doubt, right? There's always fear and doubt, but I think a lot of times people don't have complete clarity as to really who they want to be and why that's important. And then they're not thinking about it or talking about it or taking action upon it enough for it to materialize in their life. So a lot of guys have these thoughts about wanting to lose weight, wanting to quit drinking, wanting to be a better dad or husband, and they come and go, but then they go back into their lifestyle that they're living. And so nothing really changes. And then at night they think about it and okay, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to quit drinking, but there's no like blueprint for, to right. help them do that. And they're not focusing on it enough with that like urgency and conviction to see the results in their life. So they get discouraged and they go back to what they've been doing. Um, if you want to make a change, if it's really important to you, think about it. You took how many years to develop your type of thought process, to develop your habits, your lifestyle, your routine. It took years to get mm-hmm. to that point. 
So it takes not years, but it takes a lot of time and effort to make it shift and change in the way you're living. You can't just do it once in a while, one hour a day or a couple hours a week and think you're going to see massive changes in your life. It has to be, you know, a continual process, a continual um, effort of connecting to that person and embodying that person to make the change. Nice. And so the legacy life blueprint, do you help them not only get their life together, do you help them like physically also? Is that part of the, the blueprint? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially it's, you know, what life would you look back on one day and just feel immense gratitude that you lived that life? What is that version of yourself that you want to, who is that version of yourself that you aspire to become physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, in your business, in your relationships, everything. So we get real clear on who that individual is and what are the steps we need to take to embody that person. And then it's about executing a lot of strategies to make sure that we streamline that process. Nice. And how long is your program? Uh, the one, the you know, my main staple program is four months. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, because I, I see so many people. I work with businesses, business owners, entrepreneurs and stuff. And it's like they, they know kind of what they want. They have no idea how to even get started. You know, they, they're technically really, really good at what they do, but they've never really had to run a business before. You know, they're just hands-on. And when all else fails, they just dive into the business and do the things that they're, they're comfortable doing. How do you get them to break free and actually, actually take stock of where they are and take that first step? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the first step is like slowing down. You know, okay. if you don't slow down and, and put everything on pause a little bit, um, you're going to keep doing what you've been doing. So my first step is what I call vision creation. It's helping them to sit down and write out what they want their life to be like in 10 years. Um, and then their legacy life, what they want their life to be like at the end. What, is, what are people saying at their funeral, at their ceremony of life? What are they talking about? What are the, the memories or the contributions that that individual made to their family, to society, to their business? So I found that writing is such a powerful tool to help us to kind of reprogram the way we think about ourselves. Uh, because you're sitting down. You're, you're pensive, you're reflecting, you're looking within. So um, you're getting more creative, more introspection. And, and now you're visualizing the future. You know, you're thinking of what you want. You're using that abstract thought process to envision what life could be like. Oftentimes, there's also emotion involved. Like if you write out your dream life or what you want in 10 years, it gets you excited. You feel some type of emotion. Um, so that's a powerful process to create really a, a strong neural network that didn't exist previously. Like you didn't sit down to do that previously. So There's that disconnect there. So we start there. And then, you know, it's a constant process, weekly calls, multiple calls a week, multiple check-ins a day of of refining that, of helping them to get clear on that. You know, and then from there, the next step is, well, why is that important? If you don't do that, what's at stake? Why do you want to live that life? And what I found, the emotional connection is the X factor. If you don't have the emotional connection of what you want, you're not going to take that consistent action. There's not going to be that urgency there. You know, but if everyone was locked in a cell like I was and they got a second chance, they'd live differently because it was an emotional yeah. component. Yeah. If you got told that you were going to die next month from cancer and then suddenly found out it was a mistake, like that could change the way you live because you were this close to thinking your life was over. So the goal is through that writing and through getting really clear what they want and what's at stake yeah. if they don't take different action, we can create an emotional component that, that, that is powerful. But then the third piece is how do you tap into that energy and emotion every day? So you hear a lot of times people talk about the miracle morning, the morning routine, how crucial it is. 
I started doing this in prison before I read the Miracle Morning, before I knew what the gurus were talking about, because it was my way to focus on who I wanted to be that day and to prepare to be that person. If you just get up out of bed and go into your like normal day, well, then you're going to be the same you've been. But you have to get up early. Now we have this writing. Now we have this clarity as why it's important. What's at stake? What do you want? So I teach them a specific process that helps them to tap into that energy and, and focus and awareness every day so that they can go through their day and they're more likely to maybe catch behaviors that they used to do that they're trying to change. They're more likely to pay attention to their self-talk and realize when they're you know, acting negative or not thinking like the person they want to be. And it's just that, that series of you know, catching old behaviors and changing them over time that can um, expedite the mental and internal shift to become yeah. that person. Yeah, and it's not going to happen immediately, right? It's small incremental changes over time. Yeah, very rarely do people have like an instantaneous shift. I've had a couple of guys who had massive breakthroughs in about 30 to 60 days, but most of the time it takes 90 days, 120, six months, a year, because it's repetition, it's repetition. Yeah. And a lot of times early on, we, we are a little doubtful, we're not consistent mm-hmm. with action, the repetition's not there. And then suddenly you see, oh, it's kind of working. Oh, I'm feeling a little different. Oh, and you're getting some feedback that reinforces your desire to change. Then you double down on it. Then you're more consistent and you see more results. And it's just building that momentum. Nice. And I love what you said about the emotional component, because I know working with leaders, uh, a lot of times, everybody says it's a business decision. Well, every decision you make has some emotional component to it. it. If it wasn't something that excited you, you wouldn't do it, right? So you have to find out what that emotional component is and tap into that. That's awesome. Um, you said you read a lot of books in prison. Was there one or two books that really stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, there were so many good books. Uh, you know, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, all the books that you hear yeah. people promote out here. But the one book that changed my life that was perfect timing was Think and Grow Rich okay. by Napoleon Hill. Um, I had heard about that book, you know, people talk about it all the time, but it was just perfect timing for me because what he outlines in that book, I had been living and I felt like he wrote that book and he was reading my mind, you know, and it was amazing because I had been living that, you know, oftentimes I I read books or I, I came home and I saw what other coaches and speakers were sharing and I had already lived that, you know, so it was incredible to hear that the things they're teaching people to change their lives. I had gone through and just gravitated towards naturally because I wanted to have a better life. So that book was perfect timing and it resonated deeply with me. Excellent. Um, can you share some stories of some successes you've helped your clients achieve? Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, just recently, one of my clients, he runs a business, he has multiple, uh, you know, uh, roles and responsibilities as an entrepreneur. And he's a father of three, three under three. Uh, I'm sorry. He's going to be. He's, he was a father of two under two, like myself. Wow. So if you're running a business and you have two kids in diapers, it's a yeah. challenge. Oh, yeah. um, when he came to me, he was just feeling broken. There was something in, internally afflicting him. He wasn't sure what it was, but he just didn't feel at his best. It was starting to show up in his business, in his marriage, to the point where his wife you know, said, hey, I don't think you're ready for us to have another baby. They had a plan to have a third baby. Financially, he was struggling. I just wasn't feeling good. And he knew something was wrong. So we started doing the internal work and getting clear on what was affecting him and where it stemmed from and working through it. And, you know, he's just blossomed, honestly, man, it's the best way to put it. And just more focused on his truth and an alignment with who he wants to be every day and feeling happy, feeling proud of himself. And he just told me last week that 
his wife came up to him and said, I've noticed like these changes in you. And I'm so proud of you for what you're doing to improve yourself. I think you're ready for us to have our, our third baby. And she's pregnant now. So nice. that's there. And that's why I do this, man. Like yeah. I can yeah. you know, help clients become better versions of themselves and make more money, close more sales calls, whatever. But those type of situations where he didn't feel happy and proud of who he was. Yeah. And for him to say like, Sean, I feel proud of myself now. You know, nice. that's everything for me. It's, it's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, another client of mine, he had cancer as a child and he had never talked about it since he had part of his legs worked on. And so he had like, um, you know, deformed figure, so to speak. And he felt ashamed of that. And he had never worked through the shame and, and guilt that he had for the kids in the cancer um, center who didn't make it, you know, he, he lived and the other kids didn't. Yeah. And so he carried around a tremendous amount of guilt and shame. And we worked through that stuff together. You know, and that's what I did inside my jail cell. I had so much guilt and shame for my past. That's why I continued to go down that dark path because I didn't want to face reality. Right. So I helped him to face his reality and to accept it, work through it. And now he just, you know, feels more gratitude and love than ever before. And now he's becoming a coach. He's working to give people, um, you know, he's working to give back and to share his story with people to empower them. So he went from someone never talking about it, not with a single person after cancer, to working through his own issues seeing the impact it had on his wife and children. Now he wants to be a life coach and help other individuals who, who went through cancer as, as children and share his story and be vulnerable on social media. Nice. So that's, it's, that's incredible. That's awesome. Very cool. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about courage. Um, where did that courage come from? I know you said you were just one day you're in prison, you kind of look back and said, yeah, I, I can't continue this way. But a lot of people would just kind of give up. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, wow, I, this is bigger than I am. I can't fight this. And they just kind of give into it and end up just basically surviving. Right. But you, you found the courage to keep going. How'd you do that? I felt like I had to, I felt really like I had no other choice because I realized that I was going to be in that cell no matter what. And I could either be miserable or try to make myself happy. And I didn't want to be miserable anymore. Hmm. I had been miserable and tormented for over a decade, battling addiction, coming from a broken home. Life was just kicking my ass, man. And I was yeah. tired and I was, I was worn out. So I couldn't do that anymore. And I just had to fight for something better. You know, I had to fight, man. Mm -hmm. I had been letting life kick me around for too long and I was done with that. But did you have a, a model or a mentor or something that, that helped you find that courage in yourself? Or did it just dawn on you one day that I, I can do this? Yeah, I mean, I had my uncle who was a tremendous influence in my life. And growing up, he always told me I was a leader. He always instilled positive belief in myself nice. and what I could do. And he was coming to see me in the county jail. And he would remind me of that boy that he used to know that he, he you know, was lost inside of me. And it started to emerge. I started nice. to show signs of that. And he, I remember one day he said, you're back. So I don't know what happened, but you're back. And that was a confirmation that I was on to something really special. Very cool. Yeah. And for somebody to, to have that kind of faith in you and stuff, yeah, it helps you kind of let go of the edge and, and step out there. That's awesome. Absolutely. Very cool. Um, and there are different types of courage that we as, as leaders have to tap into, whether in our personal life, in our professional life, uh, we talk about the intellectual courage, the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs, to make room for new knowledge, right? Because there's always new knowledge out there. Um Discipline courage to be able to set a goal for yourself, set a plan and follow that plan. There's moral courage, there's social courage, 
spiritual courage, you know, physical courage. Is there a certain type of courage you think is, is most important for entrepreneurs? Well, yeah, the ability to face your fears and, and your doubts head on. So I, I would say that's mental courage and spiritual okay. courage. Yeah. So for me, you know, I was able to take complete control of my mental and emotional state while in prison. And I joke with people all the time. I say prison was like the Harvard of entrepreneurship, because if you just went over five on your sales calls, right. Mm-hmm. Or you just lost three clients, they, they quit on you halfway through. Yep. Um, you're feeling the stress of that. You're feeling the effects of that. So how yep. are you going to show up the next call for the next yep. client? And a lot of times, if we don't have that ability to, to focus our mental and emotional state, we're compromising that next opportunity. So in prison, I was able to do that by focusing on two things, my attitude, my effort every day. And I blocked everything else out, you know, the other inmates, the time that I had ahead of me, the past. And all I focused on is being grateful that day and being positive. And then what could I channel that energy into? Um, and so that helped me to focus on what was within my control, not, you know, those 0 for 5 sales calls yesterday, not the what ifs about my business. What if I quit my nine to five and I'm not successful? And when you do that and you show up every day and you give your best effort, you know, this amazing thing happens. Warren Buffett talks about compounding interest being the most powerful force in our universe. Well, the same thing happens with you on an internal spiritual level. The more you invest in yourself daily, 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 small actions done consistently to the best of your ability, your belief in yourself, your confidence rises drastically. And those efforts compound over time so that let's say that next big opportunity does surface or even that challenge, that adversity strikes. You're more able to withstand it or seize that opportunity because you've been conditioning yourself to be ready for that moment. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Investing in yourself is huge. And uh, a lot of people just, like I said, they just don't, and they really need to. Um, if you were to give, if you were to go back to the earlier you way before 23, before all this stuff happened, what, what's the one lesson you would want to tell yourself? One thing you'd want to get straight. Well, yeah, that's a tough one. My lesson was going to prison. Um, yeah. I don't know what would have woke me up, you know, um, other than going to prison, to be honest with you. I was heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol. I was pretty broken, you know, and I would just tell myself that your past doesn't have to define where you go in the future. That it's not too late just because you didn't go to college and you're not pursuing that dream doesn't mean that you have to give up on other dreams that you might harbor. Yeah. But some people, it seems like they have to hit that rock bottom before they really wake up and say, you know, this is, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, for me, it showed me how um, precious life is and how quickly it could be taken from you. And with that perspective, I live differently now. You know, a lot of times we don't live with urgency and conviction in what we're doing. And and the parts of our lives suffer because of that. Our relationships, yeah. our business, our mental and physical health. Um, if you live really like today was the only day you had and you had to, you had to show through your actions, like you know, how much you, you wanted it in order to get another day, right? Like you're yeah. going to die tonight at 12 PM, unless you give a certain amount of effort today. Right. You show that you deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I show how grateful I am through my actions every day. You said you saw a video yep. of me running in the morning at night. Yep. Like I do that because I can, and I want to show how grateful I am for the second chance. I have to prove it through my actions. I can't just talk about it. Nice. Good job. So what's next for you? I mean, you've been through so much You've done so much to help other people. You've got the book, your speaking engagements, right? Um, what else is next? What's next for you? 
Yeah. So, you know, I wrote the book. It came out in January. I just released my TED talk last month. It's on the the YouTube channel. If you search Sean Crane. Um, And so public speaking is my passion. That's what I want to be doing consistently traveling and speaking. I have an engagement in Arlington, Texas, the badass business summit coming up September 23rd. I'm really excited about that. And so a couple of things I want to be giving keynote speeches, and then I want to go back into prisons and talk to the guys who are incarcerated. Excellent. I want to share my story with them and try to help um, provide some hope or some, some, uh, you know, clarity for them that, that mm-hmm. things can improve and give them some stuff they can work on right now to set themselves up to getting out and then being at an advantage versus getting out yeah. and feeling like I did where, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, now what do I do? Yeah. But it's that, that mindset, mindset shift. They have to make yeah. for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. All right. So the name of the book again is prison of your own, right? Yes. Sir. And is that available on Amazon? Uh, yeah. It's on Amazon. If you type in Sean Crane or prison of your own, uh, it'll pop up. There's an ebook paperback and then the audio book. Very cool. And who does the audio? I do. You do. You read it. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I cool. did my own audio. Some I wanted to do. Very cool. That is excellent. Um, and your website? SeanMichaelCrane.com. If you want to reach out to me, um, connect somehow, some way, you can go on my website and there's a way to do that. Very cool. And if somebody wants to book you as a guest speaker, they can do it there? Yeah. Yeah. Again, on, on the website, there's a page for speaking um, or a way to set up a, a quick call with me to, to talk about you know what that would look like. Very cool. Well, I will let you know I have downloaded your book. I have been too busy today to even start it, but I am going to uh, read through that book and uh, definitely follow up with you because I, I love the message. I think it's it's something everybody needs to hear, not just people who are down on their luck. Anybody needs to hear this message. And uh, yeah, I hope they do. Very cool. Well, Sean, this has been excellent. Thank you so much for agreeing to to be on the podcast. Really appreciate you having you here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. It's been an honor. It's been good. Um, and I will have all these links. Um down in the show notes so people know how to get your book, how to find you on the web and uh, get in touch with you and stuff. Listeners, I hope you guys were taking notes because there's a lot of good takeaways from here. Please don't let life pass you by. Make better decisions and live your dreams, right? Very cool. All right. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 